Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, unwanted pets and relatives, greetings and hello. It is I, your favorite undocumented conservative social studies teacher, in the trenches every day trying to teach the virtues of the founding of America, Mr. Palumbo, and this is the Professor Liberty Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, folks. I always appreciate it. I know some of you diehard fans out there have been waiting with bated breath for a new episode to drop. And yes, I know it is February, but this is the first episode of 2024. I'm sorry, guys. Look, you know, my kids are of the age... Uh, my son is in wrestling, he's, he's in baseball, my daughter's doing competitive cheer, so we're in that phase of our lives where we literally have no free time on our hands. I will tell you, as my son winds down his wrestling season, I want to say, if your son is a pansy, if your son is a whiner, if he's a little chunky and needs some exercise, if he's a complainer, I recommend wrestling. Wrestling will transform him into a beast. I don't know any other sport for kids where you can literally get your lunch handed to you. You have to pick yourself up. Everyone just watched you get destroyed on the mat. And guess what? You've got two or three more matches. So I highly recommend wrestling, especially for boys. Every boy should be in some kind of combat physical activity. If you'd like to email the show, the email is ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. That's ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. You can send me your complaints, your worries, your fears, your anxieties. Send me your ideas, your thoughts, your inclinations, whatever you want to send. Just make sure you send it to Professor Liberty 1776 at gmail.com. Well, I hope everyone's having a good year so far. Boy, what a doozy of a year we are going to have here in the United States. It's going to be quite the election year. Are we going to have a real election? Is Trump going to go to jail? Can Biden complete a full sentence? It's going to be crazy out there, folks. Make sure you're prepared because who knows what is going to happen. So today's show is called History of Germany's Blitzkrieg. And, you know, we're right about that time of year at school where we're discussing the onset of World War II. It's actually one of my favorite lessons because we're talking about the rise of the dictators, the rise of communism, the rise of fascism, uh, the rise of militarism in Japan, and all of these totalitarian regimes. So I like to talk a lot about the different ideologies, and we compare and contrast them in class. And here's the big kicker. There's not much to contrast. They're all the same thing. And of course, we're going to we talk about Hitler's rise to power. And I really try to give the kids a more realistic view of Hitler. You know, he, he's he's definitely turned into a caricature at this point. People just think he was completely insane and he's the epitome of evil. Uh, but we really have to dig deep into his past, into his way of thinking, 
so we can try to figure out why he did what he did and why he believed what he believed. So we'll talk a little bit about that. This week started, this past week started with the talking of the policy of appeasement, you know, which was Britain and France, they kept giving Hitler what he wanted in the hopes that he could be satisfied. And we talk a lot about you know, the kids The kids will say, well, can't they see that he's a maniac? Can't they see that he's breaking the Treaty of Versailles? Can't they see that he's aggressive? And I try to share with them, you guys really have to figure World War I was a nightmare. Like the scars were still being uh, healed and nobody wanted to do that again. So that was a big reason as to why the other European powers were so late to the party and deciding that Hitler was serious. Well, obviously appeasement just emboldens Hitler even more. And when he sets his eyes on Poland, uh, a country that has no ethnic or political ties to Germany, uh, that's where Britain and France draw the line. And September 1st, 1939, Germany invades Poland, which officially starts World War II. So I want to focus on the first year, year and a half of the war, when the Germans come out with this new offensive strategy that was very successful. And of course, this is the idea of the Blitzkrieg, which means lightning war. But before we get into the details of what is Blitzkrieg, let's go back a little in history and explain where it came from. Because as we know, no military strategy suddenly appears out of the blue. So as I just mentioned, the term Blitzkrieg in German means lightning war. It carries the weight of history, conjuring images of the panzer tanks carving through Europe with ruthless efficiency. You can probably remember those vivid black and white images on the History Channel back when the History Channel had actual history documentaries, of the columns of tanks speeding across the battlefield. But Blitzkrieg wasn't a sudden phenomenon. It was a product of centuries of evolving military theory, technological advancements, and then a specific historical context. So let's start with the first one. Okay, let's go. We're going to go all the way back to the Napoleonic era, when Prussian military theorist Karl von Clausewitz emphasized the importance of a swift concentration of force. I'm going to try to use, say this German word, his Schieferfut, which means center of gravity principle, laid the groundwork for concentrated attacks, which is key to this characteristic of Blitzkrieg. The devastating trench warfare of World War I left a profound mark on military strategy and the desire to overcome its brutal stalemate. The static warfare of World War I, characterized by machine guns, barbed wire, massive artillery barrages, resulted in horrific casualties with minimal territorial gains. So this had military strategists thinking that a more mobile, decisive approach to warfare was needed. Yet, theory requires tools. So by the 20th century, with the emergence of the tank, the aircraft, advanced communication systems, now 
we had the tools to make this offensive blitzkrieg possible. And people in Britain, people in other parts of Europe were discussing this, but it was only Germany who truly embraced this idea. Germany was humiliated by defeat in World War I, and it was constrained by the Treaty of Versailles. The German military under the Nazis yearned for a swift war to avoid that attritional nightmare of World War I. Therefore, they invested heavily in new armored forces. They developed advanced wireless communication and cultivated a generation of aggressive commanders who championed offensive tactics. So, okay, what is the Blitzkrieg? Blitzkrieg is an offensive strategy that relies on the massing of tanks, aircraft, and paratroopers in such a way as to quickly overrun or surround enemy position. Now, I don't have a whiteboard, so I can't draw my famous Blitzkrieg drawing on the board, but if you, can, if you have an imagination, just think tanks are coming at you and planes are coming over you and then paratroopers are dropping behind you and when they all converge onto your position, you're surrounded. And the success of Blitzkrieg was electrifying. Germany swept across Europe, conquering vast territories while Allied forces were left bewildered and disorganized. In 1939, back to the invasion of Poland, all the core elements of Blitzkrieg was included. For example, the element of surprise. It was an unforeseen attack. It had mobility, rapid maneuvers, and encircling tactics, which disoriented and isolated enemy forces. And then they had the communication. They had the advanced radio networks to enable real-time coordination. And here's some examples of some other early successes of Blitzkrieg. The invasion of Denmark and Norway, April 1940. Again, swift, bloodyless takeover of Denmark, followed by the capture of key Norwegian ports. How about the fall of France in May to June 1940? Germany bypassed the heavily fortified marginal line, launching a surprise attack through the Ardennes Forest. Panzer Division spearheaded a rapid advance, encircling Allied forces and forcing their retreat towards Dunkirk. And here is where our story begins to change. Here is where the lightning war begins to kind of stall. The miracle at Dunkirk, which it's often called, stopped the German blitzkrieg from completely destroying the entire British exponentiary force, or BEF. And this is where the unraveling really began. Historians still argue over why Hitler halted his tanks just before reaching the coastal city. Some say Hitler was concerned about civilian casualties, which I find doubtful. Others claim that the Allies had solid air superiority over the city, which I also don't think was the case. Others counter that the Panzers were exhausted and low on fuel, making a continual advance difficult. I kind of like this one. And that bombing Dunkirk wouldn't have guaranteed complete destruction of Allied forces. In any case, the miracle at Dunkirk showed the weaknesses of the Blitzkrieg. And for all intents and purposes, the German war machine's momentum somewhat stalled from there. 
This is going to be followed by the Germans' inability to take Great Britain in the summer and fall of 1940, which is known as the Battle of Britain. In a large part, this is due to the brave fighting of the Royal Air Force and their superior aircraft, the Spitfire, and good old reliable, that thing called the English Channel, which the Blitzkrieg could not uh, cross, obviously. Finally, the failed invasion of the Soviet Union in 1941, also known as the Operation Barbosa, marked the Blitz's final demise. Operation Barbosa marked a turning point in World War II and served as a stark reminder of the inherent weaknesses within the Blitzkrieg strategy. While initially achieving all those territorial gains, the operation ultimately exposed several flaws that led to Germany's defeat on the Eastern Front. So let's talk about a couple of those. Number one, underestimating the enemy. Germany underestimated the vastness of the Soviet Union and the sheer size of its Red Army. They expected a quick collapse similar to their victories in Western Europe. But the Soviets possessed immense manpower reserves and a deep fighting spirit, refusing to surrender despite heavy losses. This next one you guys have probably heard if you've studied World War II, weather and terrain. They underestimated that, right? Germany's high command failed to adequately prepare for the harsh Russian winter and the vast muddy terrain. Their vehicles, equipments uh, stalled in the cold and the mud, leading to breakdowns and logistical nightmares. And that brings us to the second weakness of Blitzkrieg, right? Logistical challenges. Overextended supply lines, lack of fuel, right? Uh, rapid movement, inefficient movement, inefficient supply chains. And you got to remember, you got to put this together with Blitzkrieg's, uh, its whole premise is fast moving, surprise, quick, overtake the enemy, surprise the enemy. Well, if you can't keep that speed up, if you can't keep that efficiency of movement up and the coordination and you stall out, now you're giving your enemy time to... Uh, fortify, time to plan, time to organize, time to rise up. And that's a lot of what happened in Russia. The last weakness that Operation Barbosa exposed, which I think is related to logistics, is manpower and resource limitations. Being able to sustain large armored formations, maintaining, operating these massive divisions demanded immense manpower and industrial resources. And as the war dragged on, even though Germany, you know, they did uh, create this massive and impressive war machine, eventually they started to struggle to maintain these demands, leading to shortages and decreases in unit effectiveness. Also, Germany kind of shot themselves in the foot with this two-front war which was the problem with the First World War, right? Germany had two fronts it had to defend. Well, when Hitler, because he's Hitler, when he goes into and invades Russia, he's now opened up a second front, and now Germany finds themselves in the same difficult position. 
So while Blitzkrieg initially was devastating, clearly it wasn't invincible. It had inherent weaknesses that were exposed by determined enemies, logistical strains, and the inability to adapt to changing circumstances. You know, the downfall of Blitzkrieg serves as a reminder that no single tactic guarantees victory, and you have to be able to adapt. You have to have strategic foresight. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, in a minute because I think this is really the poison pill of the Nazi war machine. Because basically what we're trying to say is this. Yes, Blitzkrieg had some weaknesses, but it's really the strategist behind the strategy that will determine its success. So to be honest, I believe this is what really defeated Hitler. Namely, it was the man himself. Hitler's overconfidence, his delusions of grandeur, undoubtedly played a significant role in several disastrous military decisions during World War II. This contributed significantly to the demise of Blitzkrieg, as well as Germany's eventual overall defeat. And here's some specific examples of what I'm talking about. Hitler constantly underestimated his enemies. For example, with Britain, Hitler believed Britain would quickly sue for peace after the fall of France. He overestimated German air power, and he underestimated British resolve. Take the Soviet Union. Hitler's belief, instead of having a clear foresight, Hitler let his racial ideologies get in the way. For example, he thought, you know, this Aryan superiority... His, his, his superior troops would take care of the Red Army very quickly. He also had an ideological hatred for communism. And this led him to recklessly open up a second front. Hitler also refused to develop a long-term plan. Hitler's fo focus on short-term victories and his belief in his own military genius prevented him from developing a clear and sustainable plan for winning the war. And so once he starts losing, this is where his monomaniacal tendencies are going to start coming to the forefront, and he's going to start sabotaging his own self. He's going to start uh, blaming the generals. He's going to start blaming the troops. I mean, you can read about all of this. He, As his troops started to lose, he thought, well, they just need to try hard enough. They're not trying hard enough. I mean, he was just he was just a maniac. So the Blitzkrieg story is not just a tale of tactical innovation, but it's also a cautionary tale of hubris and ideology. While it initially surprised and conquered, its inherent weaknesses and Hitler's delusions of grandeur ultimately led to its downfall. It serves as a stark reminder that even the most Innovative tactics cannot guarantee victory, and that overconfidence, inflexibility, and underestimating one's enemy can lead to devastating consequences. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating. You could even help me more if you give me a written review. Share this podcast with your friends, your family, your communist cousin. And you can also go to teacherpayteachers.com if you want to look at lessons I've come up with, worksheets, activities, things from economics, history. You can also hit me up on Facebook. 
Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Liberty.